Welcome back to another episode of In Harmony with Piedmont Opera. Today, as we are doing our first episode of fall, we do appreciate you going back and listening to all the episodes we have available right here on our podcast feed. You can find us by just searching In Harmony with Piedmont Opera or just Piedmont Opera Podcast anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Our guest today is Dr. Jonathan Burdett. He is a professor of radiology with Atrium Health, Wake Forest Baptist here in Winston-Salem. Jonathan, great to see you. How are you? I'm doing great, and great to be here at the Opera Offices, downtown Winston-Salem. So before we talk about your um, uh, some of your experiences currently or recently, I always enjoy hearing from, from folks their early experiences, how they came to love music. What were some of your early experiences where music became such a big part of your life? Well, interesting question. Um, like anyone, I believe, uh, music is an integral part of our lives. They, uh, from our childhood on, and um, in the in terms of the high arts, uh, my mother, I'm one of five children. I'm the middle child of five children, and mm-hmm. and my mother decided that my older brother would start playing the viola, and so uh, which none of us had really ever heard of, and so. He started doing that, and we all just followed in line. So we started playing sort of classical music that way. But like everyone, all, all music is, is a part of our life. And uh, I could talk for hours on music in the brain. That's one thing I do, mm-hmm. uh, on how music's a language and all that. But um, I will segue, since I'm sitting in the opera offices, how did opera become a part of my life? Sure. And... Uh, the first opera I ever saw was in Nuremberg, Germany, which I was there on an exchange program, and that was the field trip. And so they brought us to see Madame Butterfly, and that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so, and so then uh, the, the family I was staying with, I said, I kind of like that, and they, they brought me to a second one, a Mozart opera, Abduction from the Seraglio. Those were the first two operas I ever saw. And I thought, well, this is kind of neat. And uh, didn't do much with it thereafter until my brother became mm-hmm. an opera singer and the rest is history. And now I'm, I'm a bit of a fanatic. Yeah. So was there ever a point where you thought about a, a, a career in music or is medicine always something you wanted to do career-wise? I never really thought of a career in music. I was a mediocre uh, musician uh, in terms of I didn't. I didn't practice hard enough. Let's just say okay. on the piano and the viola and singing. But I always liked it and I always participated. Um, my senior year, undergraduate at at Duke, I took a conducting class, uh-huh. and that was the first time I thought to myself, you know, I could do that. I could be a conductor. Yeah, I liked that a lot, but I didn't because it seemed like an abstract, weird pathway that I knew nothing about. Sure. And so I never really deeply considered it, no. Yeah. Okay, so tell us about your involvement specifically with with Piedmont Opera itself. Yeah, so Piedmont Opera, I moved here in 1997, and uh, soon thereafter um, saw a production of Piedmont Opera and said to myself, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I was like, really good. I had no idea this town could do that. And I'd come from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where uh, unless you went to Detroit, 
the productions were, were not great. <laughs> and this was really good. So I, I wanted, wanted to get involved. So pretty early on, early 2000s, uh, I got on the board of directors of okay. Piedmont Opera. And in 2000-something, seven, eight, somewhere around there, whenever we did La Traviata two times ago, uh, <laughs> I auditioned for and became a member of the Piedmont Opera Chorus. Oh. And I've done a bunch of productions since then. I'm in the current production. Yeah. Okay, so I'd love to, to kind of go back because I, I feel like this will maybe frame a lot of the conversation that we're going to have in this episode, which is music and the brain. And, yeah. and you're involved in medicine, you're involved in music. Music yeah. both have been a big part of your life. Yeah. How are the two connected? How would you best explain that? Yeah, uh, I am very interested in that. I, I do study the brain. I'm a neuroimager, and so I do neuroscience um, imaging studies and, mm -hmm. and study all sorts of stuff from aging and exercise and things like that, probably less relevant for this podcast. Mm -hmm. But I also have studied the effects of music on the brain using functional MRI. And so I've always been interested in music because it's, it's a, clearly a powerful force. Um, your first question is, when did you get involved in music? That's nearly impossible to answer because I think in nearly everyone's lives, music's just part of their life. Hmm. Um, I gave a talk last week in Charlotte at a Music and Mind Symposium, uh, and I asked the question, who listened to music in the last 24 hours? And, it, and it's a softball question because the answer is everyone. So everyone raises their hand, and but that that's kind of important. You can't really say that about anything else mm -hmm. uh, except eating food probably. And... Uh, it, it's just a powerful force. So I've always been interested in it, um, music and the brain and what is going on there. And I've met a lot of very interesting people in this field, uh, Michael Tout being one of them. Um, but we like to talk about music being a language. Lang you know, math you know, is a language. Mm -hmm. Speaking is a language. These mm -hmm. are all language languages. Um, but music predates all of that. Music uh, predates the spoken language. Uh, and so it is a primal force in the brain. And we now know that it pretty much activates the entire brain. If you name the process in the brain, cognitive uh, memory, emotion, autonomics, all these things, music taps into that. Hmm. And very few things we do, you can say that about. In fact, I would say nothing we do, you could say that about. So it's always been a, a big interest to mine, and I, I, wanted, I wanted to dig into it. So I have. Yeah. So how, how do you measure something like that? How do yeah. you, how are you able to determine some of these things? I mean, certainly you study the brain and you look at images and, yeah. and, and in, in your line of work. So how, how can you quantify something like that? Yeah. So you're right. As a clinical neuroradiologist, like I was this morning, I was reading clinical studies of CT scans of the brain and MRIs of the brain. When you do research, and uh, you can do a different type of MRI called functional MRI, where you put someone in a scanner, MRI, just your garden variety MRI scanner, and you have them do a task. It could be lying there doing nothing. <laughs> that could mm -hmm. be a task. That's called resting state mm -hmm. fMRI. It could be listening to a song. It could be tapping your finger. It could be all sorts of things, uh, uh, and that's, that's basic functional MRI. And what you do is you scan someone for a certain amount of time, let's say five to 10 minutes, and 
you at that point you scan their brain over and over and, and over and over again and you get a uh, you look at each little part of the brain and you have a little signal it's just a time series um, it's just signal over time and each little part of the brain has their own signal over that five to ten minutes and the reason you have any signal there is because as the neurons are firing because you're doing a task let's say you're tapping your finger well, you expect some planning areas and motor areas to light to, to be active. And so the neurons are firing. It recruits blood. And that's basically what you're seeing. You're seeing the recruitment of blood, which changes the signal. So you look at signal over time. And what we do now, certainly the last 15 years, is we, we try to create a brain network. And mm-hmm. uh, we say something's connected if the signal in this one part of the brain is similar to the signal in another part over time. We say those they're connected. They're part of a network. And once you have a network, you can do, do fancy mathematics, just like it could be a social network on Facebook. It could be uh, a computer network. It doesn't matter. You still, it's the same math. And so once you have the network, you can, do, you can ask interesting questions. And so that, that's what we've done, and, uh, including with music. So you basically you create a brain network from doing a task in the MRI scanner. Does the instrumentation or the genre, does that have any different impact on how a brain might react? Um, to those listening, that was not a planted question, actually. That was, I think, <laughs> straight from his brain, uh, because that's actually something I'm very interested in. And uh, so you just tossed me a softball there. Uh, <laughs> I was very interested 10 years ago about genre is, and the idea of preference. If if you like to listen to hip hop, and someone else likes to listen to uh, Puccini opera, and that's what you're going to go home and listen to, do your brains look the same when you're listening to it or not? Yeah. That question that had not been answered, and so we set out to do that, and so we we put people in an MRI scanner, and had them listen to five different genres. Let's see if I can come up with them off the top of my head. Uh, it was rock and roll, uh, Kiss. I want to rock and roll all night sure. and party every day. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, that was Kiss. There was Be- uh, there was classical music. It was Beethoven. We had uh, country music. We had hip hop, and we had um, Chinese opera, which is kind of unusual to Western ears. We wanted something that was weird that that our ears are not used to. Okay. In addition to all that, and, and the people listen to those in the scanner. And they had to rate them if they liked them or did not like them. Like them. Then, in addition to that, before they ever got in the scanner uh, a week out, you would ask them if you could listen to anything in the scanner. What would it be? What floats your boat? Well, what do you go home to and listen to? And so people gave us a list of that, from "Let It Be" by the Beatles to Edith Piaf, "La Vie en Rose" to uh, Mahler's Second Symphony, the finale. I mean, very specific stuff. People, it's very idiosyncratic. People care about what they want to listen to. So they listen to those five genres I mentioned, plus their favorite song. And so we looked at their brains. And uh, we looked at to see, what what does your brain look like when you like something? Mm-hmm. What does it look like when you dislike something? And what what about when it's your favorite? And it turns out that it's in some really interesting areas of the brain, uh, 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 one network called the default mode network, uh, DMN default mode network, which is a very important network, which I can talk about in a second. But there are big differences, 
big differences. If you like something, that network was relatively intact. There's an area in the back of the brain called the posterior cingulate precuneus. It reaches out to its friends, the parietal lobes, and reaches forward to the frontal lobes. So it's kind of a, a big network that's very important. Uh, it's relatively intact if you like it. If you dislike it, it blows up. It's completely destroyed. Hmm. The posterior cingulate precuneus just talks to itself. It's like on the images I have, it's like one big angry red blob in the middle of the brain. It doesn't reach out at all to the frontal lobes. And it's, it, I call that the angry brain. I think a lot of people are walking around like that. You know, thank you, uh, Twitter and all these things. Uh, uh, <laughs> but they live in the angry brain state where they're not really reaching out to the, rest, the other parts of their brain to make this network intact. If you're listening to your favorite it was by far the most intact, and it didn't matter the genre. Absolutely didn't matter. If it was your favorite, this is what your brain looked like, and it was it was an intact default mode network. Now, why is that important? Uh, well, first of all, it's cool. Mm-hmm. People didn't know that. I mean, if you know, uh, whatever you like, you like, and uh, the default mode network is very important because um, many believe it, it's it, it gives you self-referential thoughts, lets you know who you are, lets you know your place in the world. And, you know, uh, it makes sense. You go home, you're tired from a hard work or something. You, how do you want to get back and centered? Well, you put on your music. And so it probably is syncing your default mode network and makes you feel good about yourself. So, so yeah, so your question about preference, uh, uh, that was a very long-winded answer. But it's, that's what we have found. And uh, it was kind of cool. That study made the front, front uh, page uh, online of nature.com for 24 hours. So that's a highlight of my academic hey, work right okay. there. So, but it's kind of cool. It's like what you listen to and how you much you like something yeah. uh, affects your brain uh, um, structure, but not your structure, your, your brain function, your brain networks. It, those are interesting findings. I've, I've always been, I have a, a, a fourth grader and a first grader, and when they're doing homework, I, I've always assumed that the best environment to have maximum brain function and focus when doing homework or anything you need to focus on is classical music. Right. Is, is that myth? That's myth. Okay. Um, it's, I, I think each person is different. The question is, do you want something on that someone really likes? Maybe. Or is that, does that become distracting? Hmm. And I think that that is, that is unique for each person. And that is a difficult thing to answer. So I personally don't believe the style of music, unless it's irritating to you, uh, makes that much difference on, on something like that, where you're trying to keep attention on something else. Um, I have difficulty uh, if I'm listening to music. I sometimes, my mind wanders to that. Um, so... That's a difficult question about... Now, I do believe it's great to expose kids to classical music, so keep doing that. Well, I wasn't going to give you back-to-back softball questions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but I think it's good for them to hear it, though. What do you listen to if, if you need to be maximum focused? Maximum focused? Um, I cannot have on uh, anything very loud. Mm-hmm. If I'm actually focused not on the music, uh, it can't be very loud. And I prefer it not to have words. And um, I, those who know me know I'm a little bit ADD. So, you know, I can, I can, I can be easily distracted, let's just say. So certain, you know, if I'm listening to uh, new wave songs from the early 80s mm-hmm. and one of them comes on, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to stop everybody and ask them, you know, 
you know who that you know who that is and uh, just drive everyone crazy and I become part of the song instead of focused and so I tend to put on more mellow background ir- irritating to some people's stuff for myself mm-hmm. because I just I'm easily distracted mm. okay what about the the act of music whether it's singing or, yeah. or playing an instrument does that have an, an, an increased effect on the brain beyond just listening yeah, I, I mean, I'm a huge believer that one should participate in music, mm. and uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, it it activates everything in the brain. And if you're doing music, it's even more so. Uh, obviously, the motor, the fine motor skills, um, and there's even a social aspect of a lot of music as you get people together. Um, my children are classical music players but they're also bluegrass players and get around in, in, in sessions and play and uh that fascinates me so doing music i think is very very important i, I mean I, i've been lucky to be a part of the choruses of piedmont opera we had a big rehearsal last night it's driving me crazy because i'm learning a lot of italian <laughs> it's not my strong suit it just, just isn't but uh it's so much fun it's hard though it's, it's difficult and i think that's good too um, I'm also taking fiddle lessons from Rex McGee and King, and uh, that's also hard. Let's just say someone my age, sure, who started uh, seven months ago, uh, but it's good for me, and I love it. So you've mentioned a couple of things that have been very challenging, whether it's learning fiddle yeah. or learning to, to sing in Italian. Yeah, what's been the most challenging thing that you've done related to music? Or tried to do. Yeah. I mean, I used to be terrified getting on stage doing music as a child. That was not fun. Recitals. Don't like them. Uh, And as I've gotten older, I've gone from being kind of scared to being on stage to to that just not being the case. I mean, I and people who've seen me on stage uh, will attest to the fact that it looks like I'm I'm having fun and and bringing it, <laughs> and but that's new. I mean, I, I, the first opera I did here, I was a little deer in the headlights, and uh, so that's been a big change for me is getting comfortable doing it, and uh, so yeah, that's probably the hardest. I mean, just performance anxiety basically, and which I don't have anymore. I just don't care anymore. You just you just bring it and. Yeah. And, and and get over that. What kind of emotions come out in you, reactions come out in you related to the related to opera? Whether not necessarily from a performing when you're if you're in the chorus, but you mentioned your first experience with it in, in Germany, yeah. correct? Um what did that bring out of you emotionally in, in that particular art form? Yeah. I mean I'm a big fan of lots of styles of music. I mean Seeing David Byrne in New York a year ago was, I mean, just religious experience. It was amazing. But uh, something about opera that I, it's difficult to explain, but uh, there are times where, uh, spe- live, I'm talking about specifically live, where there is some uh, resonance. There, there's some the molecules bouncing around in the air from the singer on stage to me in the audience. And you're, and it's 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 just extremely powerful, ex- extremely moving, in a way that I cannot get that in in other art forms. And 
it's, it's this depth that I think most of us, uh, many uh, live our lives kind of on the surface these days, uh, unfortunately. And to have a moment, have moments that opera can provide where you actually dive deep. They, they, they can spend some time uh, get, getting some, you know, asking some deeper questions, like uh, an emotion. And, and, and if you're around someone who's good, who actually can do it with their voice and, and, uh, and hit you with it, uh, those are like, you get tears and you don't know, you don't, you can't really explain what is going on, but it's, it's so rare today that, uh, there's something about opera. I mean, opera to me is good operas is the, um, it's about the human condition. And, uh, uh, so few things are these days. I mean, uh, the superficiality of most of our lives, the social media and all this kind of stuff is is like anti-opera. I mean, opera is is no no no. We're gonna go deep for a second and get let you experience stuff, let you experience happiness, sadness, all these things you have you actually have in your life, but you get to like have it in a in a interesting environment. So, uh, and this this is a guy I came late to the show with opera. I didn't grow up with this, and um, uh, again, mostly because I traveled around seeing my brother sing uh, that I learned about it and just it blows my mind. I mean. I, I I don't go to meetings nationally unless the opera company locally that that place is putting on an opera. We have a big national radiology meeting. I probably shouldn't be saying this in Chicago every uh, November, and I look to see what Chicago Lyric Opera is doing. Mm. And if it's something I want to see or and am interested in, I will consider going to the meeting. <laughs> and if it's not, then I'll find a reason not to go to the meeting. <laughs> and so I mean that that's kind of crazy, but it's 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 the truth. Sure, I yeah. believe it. You you mentioned your brother and you've mentioned your 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 children and and uh, the, the ways that they're involved in music. Can you, can you provide maybe a little more information for our audience in in terms of what they're doing musically right now or yeah. what they've accomplished? Yeah, so I'll start with my my children real quickly. People don't like to hear about people's kids, but uh, 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 they grew up here locally and were all classical players. All went to school of the arts for high school. Uh, one played cello, uh, Fiona played cello, Ellie played bass and then sang her last year and then jesse played violin and switched to viola but they were also a bluegrass band the dan river girls and uh they played a lot a lot uh like nearly every weekend for several years and just doing bluegrass americana rock sort of stuff and from that i mean they were trained also by rex mcgee and martha bassett uh you know local people sure who you know uh and um that was an amazing experience. So they've played in lots of genres, seen lots of people, and, and, and they're good. Unfortunately, they're, they don't exist uh, as a band anymore because one's in Berlin, Germany, one's in uh, Uppsala, Sweden, and one's in Williamstown at Williams College in Massachusetts. So they don't get together very much anymore, but when they do, it's pretty awesome. And then my, my brother, Kevin Burdett, my, he's small. He's little, my little brother. <laughs> he's six years younger than, than I am. And he uh, is a bass singer. And unlike me, he realized, you know, I could do it. Mm-hmm. And so he did it. And uh, he, he's a, he's a, he, he does it. He's in his uh, late 40s and has done it now for a long time. He, you know, he sings. He, he is flying down to Dallas Opera in the next few days, I think, because there's a brand-new opera they're putting on, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. Mm-hmm which is a brand new opera and he's in that he's the father of the guy who has the stroke um 
if there's a new opera coming out, he's probably in he's it. He's probably doing it. And so, I mean, at the Metropolitan Opera, he's done. Uh, we've seen him new ones. The Tempest was several years ago, or Exterminating Angel. All these, all these things. We saw him in La Scala last November, um, doing the Tempest, um, which is kind of cool to go to Italy, see your brother sing. But he's been a lot of places, and so that kind of educated me on the genre because I would go see him perform. Saw him in Argentina at Teatro Colón singing uh, Abduction from the Seraglio, the one I mentioned earlier, the one I saw in Germany, my second opera. Mm-hmm. But So, yeah, so he, 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 he does it. He was, uh, interestingly enough, he, he did it for a while and then quit and became a lawyer and went to law school uh, and graduated Columbia and was a lawyer for a while, but then uh, got some, some good offers. It's hard to turn down the Met, for example. Um, sure. And so uh, he he went on leave from the law firm and uh, in New York, and never came back. And so and so it, it, he told them, uh, "I've got all these good offers, so uh, I, I'm not coming back." And they said, "Well, if we had talent, we wouldn't either." But, uh, <laughs> but uh, so uh, so he's done it ever since, and he has a good career. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I want to ask you about here is about what you're doing with other doctors in collaboration in Ecuador. Oh yeah, yeah. Ecuador is 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 uh, is a fun place. Um, it's it's strange how I got involved with that, and that's not even that relevant. But I am involved with uh, um, the medical scene in Ecuador, specifically in Quito, Ecuador, the capital. Uh, which is up high, you know, depending on where you are, 8,000 to 9,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nelson Maldonado is my link down there. He's a neurocritical care doctor who trained in the United States and has gone back there to, to try to uh, elevate medicine in, in Ecuador. And he's a brain guy. So uh, through these links, uh, I've managed to uh, be a part of what they're building down there, which is hopefully the, the best uh, medical clinic in South America. At least that's our goal. And that's his goal for sure. And I hope to be help be a part of that, continue to be a part of that. But uh, what you're probably alluding to is that we had a project uh, using virtual reality mm-hmm. that uh, is ongoing. Uh, Lexonics, a company out of Canada, and Lenovo, a company out of the Triangle, uh, linked up. And they have a PAC system, a, a picture archiving, you know, look at images, on a on virtual reality system and they thought it'd be uh through my links it would be kind of neat to do a pilot program with the people i know in ecuador and it's kind of neat because we went down there um with uh we had to get the goggles into the country which took some doing but mm-hmm. uh we got them and so nelson has two pairs of these goggles and through our work with josh tan here at at the hospital wake forest um uh we had a pretty cool setup where uh, we did a presentation down there where we had two goggles down there, one here in Winston-Salem and two and one in Toronto and one in Saskatchewan. Whoa. All looking at the same images at the exact same time, and uh, which is pretty cool. And so uh, I was able to show stuff. I was in Ecuador. I was one of the goggles in Ecuador. I was able to show things on uh, the, the screen, which is in you know the virtual reality goggles, and everyone's seeing the same thing in all these different places at the same time, which is pretty cool. Um, it's still in its infancy. I mean, the idea is is that you could put these in a smaller place, for example, a smaller hospital um, in the hinterlands, and that way, uh, radiologists and and uh, neurologists could see these images real time from afar, 
and actually go over stuff real time with physicians out in the field. And that's the idea. Uh, it's again, still baby steps, but, yeah. uh, we're, we're kind of excited about it. It also has other uses like in education. I mean, you, we can, um, uh, show images to the residents down in Ecuador using this system. So yeah, uh, we so hope, we hope to make it better, but yeah. So it's showing doctors in South America how to, you're, you're, you're training, you're teaching how to yeah, read images. That is the idea. Yeah. And, um, or they're showing me a clinical case. Okay. And I can look at it. Yeah. You know, someone is sick. They have uh, some uh, unusual uh, autoimmune disease of the brain. We're not sure what's going on. What do you think, Jonathan? And uh, you're a, you're a uh, special, subspecialty trained neuroideologist. We, they don't have any of those in Ecuador. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you think about this? And that's the idea. And you can see things at a lot higher resolution with the virtual reality goggles than you could, like, uh, on a Zoom shared screen that is or a, something. That is true, yeah. actually. And it's it's strangely high resolution. Yeah. It's weird. But uh, it's also pretty compelling, I have to say. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll close with this. This is typically how we, we like to wrap our conversations, which right. is I love hearing about people that live in the area, the things that they enjoy doing around the area. Certainly, we've talked about music, and you're very busy with in your profession. But when you do get some time, some free time, if you're going out to dinner or you're checking out some of the the, the, the things that Winston-Salem and the triad have to offer, um, what are some of the things that you'll go out and, and, and try to experience? Yeah, I'm very plugged into the arts community, mm-hmm. obviously. I mean, I went to this first concert of Michelle Merrill at the Winston-Salem Symphony last Saturday mm-hmm. at Reynolds uh, Auditorium, which was fantastic, and she's awesome. Uh, so I definitely do all that and go to the School of the Arts and see my... I like to go to their plays and their dance concerts. They have one right now. Um, and so I like to plug them. But uh, we also like to get out and about. Uh, my wife and I like to hike, and so we, we do uh, that, uh, usually driving distance from Winston-Salem or here locally. We have our e-bikes, and so we sometimes jump on... Just down our, down the hill from us is the Greenway, so we can get up from the Greenway to Salem Lake. Mm-hmm. And so we like to do that. Um, yeah, I like to I like to walk down the hill to Easy Talk. It's a new place down in uh, down on Broad Street near me, where East of Texas is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love checking out the restaurant scene around here, and I've I've always been a big fan of that. Um, and that, as that evolves, and I'm a big advocate of Winston Salem. Basically, I mean yeah. I like it here. Uh, I've been here since 1997. Had no intention of staying when I arrived. And that's just the way it is. Most people end up saying that in these conversations. They say, I moved here, and it, yeah. most of them it might say the 90s yeah. or, or even beyond that. And they say, didn't think I'd be here this long, but now I can't imagine ever leaving. No, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite nice, um, to say it mildly. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so my wife and I like to get out and about. And so you'll see us. <laughs> you'll see us walking around. And uh, we, we've enjoyed our time here. Yeah. This has been a fascinating conversation. Dr. Jonathan Burdett joining yeah. us here on In Harmony with Piedmont Opera. Thank you so much for, for spending some time with us today and for all that you do as a board member, as a, as a, as a singer, and everything that you do to support the arts here in Winston-Salem. Well, I appreciate that. It's been my pleasure. <laughs>